keep that open, we're going to walk through verses 6 through 8 there at length. But um, as, we, as we begin, I want to just once again acknowledge the, the weight that this brings to a room and the effects that it has on, on hearts and, and minds. And, and as I said, this is not about um, a political statement in any way. Really, the discussion of life is a theological issue not primarily a political issue. It has political implications, obviously, um, but it is first and foremost a theological image of God issue. And God himself is the giver of life, and therefore he himself retains the right to define when it starts and who is able to take it. And, and so we want to let God speak truth into this very uh, sensitive subject. I, I want to say also that I realize that... Um, this passage from Micah is an incredible summation of really, you know, the whole Old Testament, really the, the scriptures in general. Uh, it's a famous passage, and I, and I understand that, that the implications of justice extend far beyond just this topic of, of uh, abortion and the sanctity of human life. And, and, uh, but this is what we're going to focus on today. And so I, I understand there's, there's lots of other areas in which justice uh, need to be played out and really in which God's people need to be very involved. But uh, really in light of not only with sanctity of human life, you know, we're supposed to talk about this uh, three weeks ago. We kind of moved Micah 6 up into the, the tension series to really align with that day. But the cancellation of, of snow, you know, we're, we're, we're here today. So not only is that just the, the year or the, the calendar the day on the calendar of every year that we kind of set aside to talk about this issue, but as many of you have watched the news recently and and um, seen the, I mean, this is not it's not really a new thing, and it's not really just going on right now. Like, I, you know, this is this is something that's pretty prevalent regularly from the you know hearings of Supreme Court uh, justices uh, being you know installed or not. This is a topic that gets forced to the forefront, and then uh, regularly there are laws going on and being passed, and then most recently the, the deal in uh, New York, and, and their uh, changing of those laws and really broadening the scope of um, abortion and its availability and its timing and all of those things, and, and, and really perhaps the most concerning is, is how to handle people's reactions, right? This is the, perhaps the most polarizing issue we have in our culture. And you have in this, in this situation and in New York this celebration, this, this joyful, gleeful celebration of the passing of this law in the, the World Trade Center. Is, uh, top is lit up in pink to celebrate this. And so there's this brazen like movement to uh, advance this this pro-choice idea that is just so prevalent. And, and, and then there's this uh, opposition, obviously, from pro-life, and, and there's just this constantly in the forefront of our mind. And so with all that, I think it's important that our, God's people know what does, what does God's Word say, right, about life, about um, abortion, about um, that issue, and, and, and really then more so, what does God require of us? What does he require of us? Is it just a, a matter of how we vote or, or, or what stance we take, or, or is there more to it? And so uh, with all that in mind, we're going to wade into this uh, from the book of Micah. And if you've been here with us the last four weeks, we've been wading through um, the, the tension of our God is a God of grace. Yes, but first to appreciate and to understand his grace, we have to understand and know his judgment. We have to understand and know his righteousness and that he does indeed 
um, care about the evil in the world, right? He does indeed care about the state of the world. And it's, it's not uh, because of his uh, lack of empathy or because he's unable to do anything about it does the evil continue in our world, but rather it is, is because he is, is, instead of just bringing in justice in one fell swoop, uh, which would require he do away with all of us, right? We talked about that. Uh, but instead of doing that, he has brought justice upon Jesus Christ, his one and only son, on the cross, and, and made a way for sinners like you and I to be redeemed, to be changed from the inside out. And so, as I said, this is not a political issue, and, and Jesus is not running a political campaign, right? If he, like, he is King Jesus. His political, like, Campaigns like it is, it is a bloody cross and an empty tomb, and he wins, right? He is, is on the throne, never to vacate, never to be up for re-election. Like, Jesus is our king, and he has made a statement about the evil in the world, about this, the, the sin and the unrighteousness and the blatant disregard for human life, and, and the cross stands at the center of how God feels about the evil in our world. And so God is, is, is at work in our broken and busted world. And we should be grateful that it is not this uh, bringing of one and final judgment, which he will do one day, right? He will do, as we talked about, after all nations have heard, like he's going to come in and that, that will be the end. He will do away with all evil and we will see a new heaven and a new earth when all the sin and, and injustice is put away and Jesus rules forever fully. But in the meantime, he is advancing his kingdom and reconciling the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ, saying that, there, that yes, you are all sinners, and yet Jesus has made a way for any who would come and call upon his name, throw themselves upon his mercy, though your sins be as scarlet, they can be made white as snow. He will bring new birth, new life, and forgiveness to whatever has happened in your life, whatever has been committed against you, whatever you have committed against others, whatever uh, shame, whatever, and, and that includes any of you who may have had or participated in, gave consent to abortions. That the gospel is, is the way forward. That Jesus isn't uh, just about changing governments and laws, though I, I believe he wants his people to be involved in those things. But, but Jesus is going to change the world by changing hearts. Jesus is going to change the world by penetrating people and, and, and softening the hardness of heart that, that sin has caused and one heart at a time, advancing his kingdom and therefore calling his people that he's empowered and changed to live out justice and truth in his world. And so that's where we find the, the prophet Micah writing to, his, to God's people. And the judgment that, that God brings is not about them, right? It's not about, you know, we don't get to sit back and look with God and go, yeah, man, that world, if they would just get that figured out, right? If they would just learn to pass the right laws, elect the right leaders, do the right things, live like, then, like, we don't get to just sit back and look at they. God looks at us. God looks at his people, his church. And that's where the judgment starts. And listen, I realize when we have a topic like abortion and you see the, the videos that bring forth stats like that and, and there's this disconnect or this dissonance that happens in many of our hearts because it's so overwhelmingly huge, right? The statistics, something like 58 million since 1973 when Roe v. Wade passed that 58 million or so abortions have been committed just in our country. 
to know that there are, are, are millions of orphans, to know that there are thousands. In, like, it, it just becomes, as, as one of the men in the video said, that the death of one is a tragedy, but the death of millions just becomes a statistic, right? And so there becomes this dissonance when we hear about these things, and we don't quite know what to feel, right? And, and we go about living our life, and most of these things aren't present in, in our everyday life, and so we don't always feel the weight of it. And when, when things like this are brought upon us, we, we feel this guilt, and we, and we, and we kind of have this moment of, okay, yes, Lord, I, I agree, and yes, I'm pro-life, and yes, I want those things to move, but, but, but kind of, you know, what do we do about that? And, and then we kind of leave these places and go about our every day, and until there's another news story, until there's another law, like, we just don't live in this reality. And I think the people of Micah's day can relate to us better than we realize. Because what we have here is God's people, and the problem isn't that they've stopped going to church. Okay, The problem isn't in Micah's day when God is bringing judgment upon his people, isn't that they've stopped going to church or that they've stopped being Christians or that they've stopped agreeing with God's word. The problem becomes with their everyday life and what they're actually doing about it. But the, the disconnect for them is perhaps even stronger than what those of us in this room would feel because there's this, there's this posture from them. As, as Micah read, God's bringing this indictment upon them and saying, listen, what have I done that, to cause this rebellion? What have I done but be good to you that you won't obey and live out the life that I've called you to? And their posture is to change the subject, right? To start asking questions. Well, what, what, do, you, what do you want from us, Lord? What, what would make you happy, right? That's what we, we see them saying in verse 6. What, should we, how should we come before the Lord then? What should we do? Should we bring some more sacrifices? He says in verse 6, uh, shall we come before him with burnt offerings? Or how about a, a one-year-old calf? Will the, verse 7, will the Lord be pleased with a, thousands of rams, with ten thousands of, of rivers of oil? Even going so far as saying, should I give my firstborn for, for my transgression, for the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? So they're really just saying, okay, what do you, what do you want from us, God? Like, we're, we're going to church, we're still doing your sacrifices, we're following your festivals, and yet you're bringing this judgment upon us. What, what do you want from us? And I think what you see by their response is there's just, there's just this disconnect. That the, that the Lord, through Micah, and, and really through, uh, you know, a partner prophet of his, Isaiah, has just brought this indictment upon his people, saying, listen, you go about your everyday life. You go about your religious activities. You go to church. You do these things. You're bringing these offerings. You're having these festivals, but you're, you're having a complete disregard for your neighbor. You remember the, the whole law, everything that God has presented before his people is to, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? And God writes within his law a, a concern and provisions for the vulnerable. Over and over again, he writes it, that, that, that Israel, his people, should be a place where the sojourner finds the refugee, finds help, finds open arms, and finds security, and finds empathetic people that point them to their empathetic and life-giving God, that the widows of the day who have no way to, to care for themselves in that day's culture, that they should be able to go to the church, to God's people, and to find hope and to find care. And then over and over again, God tells them, you should be the place that cares for the orphan, that God's people are to reflect and to bear back upon the world his own image, that God's people are to live the way that he lives. And God says, you should be holy as I am holy, and I'm just, so therefore you should be just. And, and, and over and over again in Scripture, Psalm 68, and uh, really as God even uh, 
names himself. He, he includes that this is a God who loves kindness, who, lo- who gives mercy. He's a father to the fatherless. Right? He, he sets the fatherless in homes. That This is the work that God is about, and he's called his people to be about that same work. And yet these people look and go, what, what do you want from us? Lord, we're, we're going to church. We're doing these things. See, the problem wasn't that they had stopped going to church, that they had stopped, uh, you know, picking the right answer on the, on the surveys. The problem was that they had a complete disregard for justice. You see, in, in, in chapter 2, Micah just lay out for them saying, listen, you are just devouring each other. Not only are you not being a place where the sojourner and the widow and the orphan find hope, but you're devouring each other. You're taking advantage of one another. You have a complete disregard for one another. And God says, this is not who I've called my people to be. So this is Micah's context. There's just this disconnect. And I think we can relate to that. Like, okay, Lord, I I know, I get it. Like, I, I have this, like, my sense is that my job this morning is really probably not to convince you to be pro life. Like, if I had to guess, most of you would probably uh, fall on that side of the line or lean that way. And so I don't think my, my burden this morning is to convince you to be pro-life, though, though we certainly are going to look at some reasons why we should be, um, you know, champions for the unborn. But, but I think more so is what does that look like for us? What does God require of us in our day-to-day? What does God require of us as, of, as his people? Is it just about... What we do when we enter the voting booth, is it just about what, what stance we take or what we post? Like, what more does, what, what does God want from us? And I think, you know, our lives are pretty comfortable, right? Most of us aren't acquainted with the, the reality of abortion day in and day out. Most of us, like, until you maybe watch one of those videos, right, where somebody starts describing how an abortion actually happens. That it... It's literally the, 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 the tearing off, like limb, limb for limb, the, the, the pregnancy. Right, like most of us don't live in that world, and then when we do hear the statistics, we don't, we don't compute that, and yet we can look back at the Holocaust with complete horror, right, as we should, as we absolutely should. But we need to understand that this day and age, the the reality of this genocide of our unborn has far surpassed the numbers that the Nazis executed. And that is not to make light of those of the Holocaust in that season. But I'm saying we look back with horror upon that, and yet we kind of have this communal apathy toward this issue. Like, it doesn't drive, it doesn't infuriate our soul, our day-to-day. Like, it doesn't drive us in the way that we live whenever we think about the reality. Like, there will be a day whenever, perhaps it's our kids, or perhaps it's our grandkids, perhaps it's their kids, that will look back upon this generation with horror that we allowed this to go on. So, Micah is sent, is, Attempting to bring a reality, a sobering reality to God's people and say, no, 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 right now, there is a role for you. In your day-to-day, it's not just about going to church, bringing more offering. That's not what God is requiring of you. He has a role for his people to redeem the evil and the brokenness of the world. He has a role for you and for me, and that's what Micah 
is saying in this moment. And so that's really how we want to enter into this and, and let the, the reality of our day then kind of drive our conversation as we look at God's word here. And what, what does he require of us? That's the question that um, the people ask, and that's the reply that Micah is going to give here in verse 8. But we, we, need to, we need to set in this for just a bit. We need to realize the, the reality uh, that is before us. As I said, I think it's somewhere around 58 million abortions that have been reported since Roe v. Wade in 1973 just in our country. Around a half a million to 600, 700,000 or so, which is actually down from, from 1990. But, but about 600,000 or so every year in our country are aborted. That's, that's about 3,000 a day. And the first thing we have to realize is that, again, this is not just the difference in political ideals and are you pro-choice or are you pro-life. Like this, this issue has gone like well beyond the realm of logic. And we, we have to acknowledge that, first and foremost, this is a spiritual Issue, and I don't just say that because this is church, right? Like, okay, yeah, I know our battles against flesh and blood, or our battles not against flesh and blood. It's powers and principalities, and so therefore, we, like, we, we need to actually step back and look at the tension and the and the reality that's going on in our world. Psalm one hundred six talks about whenever God's people go into the the. Um, the Canaanite, the promised land, and they, they don't run out all the, the pagan nations there. Instead, they start adopting some of their stuff. And, and it says that they start sacrificing their kids to the demons. So there's this sacrifice of children is related to the worship of demons. And, and I think, listen, it doesn't feel that way today. Like nobody's having an abortion to the, and, and, you know, sacrificing their child or their pregnancy to some demon God. But you need to understand that, that there's very much a, a dark reality and a spiritual reality at play here. And I think it's evidenced by, if we'll take an honest step back and, and look at the lack of logic that exists, even in our own laws, like that we're not just talking about rational conversations here. We're not just talking about logic and the difference between two positions. Like even our own laws don't make any sense, right? That, like the fact that a woman can and be pregnant and on her way to the abortion clinic. And, and if she's on her way and in her car and a drunk driver crashes into her and causes her to lose her baby, that that drunk driver can be prosecuted for manslaughter. And yet, had she just been able to go right on to that abortion clinic, she could have done away with that pregnancy. It's the language that is being used. She could have aborted that child with absolutely no consequences. There's not logic there. I know the issue be, it becomes where does life begin, right? That, that's the, the issue that, that really drives most of this debate. And there's not logic in how they play that out either. Right? Psalm 139 makes it really clear without a whole lot of wiggle room that God, like from the moment of conception, God considers our life, like we are that, we are the person in that moment of conception that we will be when we're born in a fully man. Like, but what, what gets weird is you start labeling, okay, at this point they become a human, or at this point they become a life, or at this point they get their soul, whatever, and, and you, you start drawing really weird lines, right? Like that they're not capable of rational thought. Well, neither is a little three-month-old that my wife is holding over there. I think he's not capable of rational thought, right? Does that make him less human? Does it mean we can just dispose of him? Like, 
You, you start drawing lines in, in really weird places, just like the manslaughter laws. Like it, it's not a matter of logic here. The conversations, you start watching some of this stuff and the, the, the propaganda, the language that they use. Like I said, they won't call it a child. Like it is all so, and then now, but science is, I think it's actually on our side and science is, is showing us more and more about the baby in development, right? The, 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 back in 1973, there wasn't 3D uh, ultrasounds and we weren't able to see the, the images of a eight-week-old baby and and know that all of its organs are actually in place and functioning at that moment, and, and to see a child recoil at the, at the prick on, on the heel of their foot, to see them pull away as, as early as eight weeks, right? To, to be able to have evidence that they're dreaming in the womb, right? Most, if you've had children, you, you know that you've, you've leaned in to the belly of the mother and, and felt the kicks, Right? And you've talked to them. And yet, somewhere along the way, we're, we just want to draw a line around this week or this thing and say, okay, if it's before this, then that's not a, that's not a life. That's just, a, that's just a, a mass of flesh. Or, or it's a part of the woman's body. And listen, First of all, I understand that this is particularly different for uh, women in the conversation, and we need to be sensitive to that, and we need to understand that. But when we start talking about, like, that this is all about a woman's right to her own body and her reproductive, like, we start drawing some really curious lines at that place, too. Right? We start saying things like, uh, like you'll hear women say, well, I should have the right to choose when I create life or when I don't. And, and I want to say to them, like, You do. Like, you didn't have to have sex. And, and get, before you draw the line, I understand that there are issues of rape and incest that have to be considered, that have to be a part of the conversation. I will say quickly, that, that, is, a, that is a, I think, something that has been misused to legalize the thing. Really, that, those situations make up about one and a half percent of all the abortions that happen. The reality is that's not what the, these laws are championing, is, is, is that right for a woman to choose in those situations. The reality is it's mostly about comfort. It's mostly about a woman's like, the, the right to have sex without any consequences, without dealing with what, what it produces. Like, that's where we want to we draw the line here. I want to be able to do these things without having to deal with the consequences that come upon. But nobody's talking about how the fact that like, you didn't have to have sex, right? Again, for those that were, that, that were not given that choice. I understand the difference in that conversation, and I don't intend to be insensitive to them. But I would say that it goes back to, like, are we really valuing one life over the other? And I, that goes back to when does life begin and all of those things. But, but I think that the evil and the tragedy of, of, of that moment does not give us the right then to promote, to legalize mass abortion. That there are actually there are other ways forward for those women in those situations. Which is part of what we're going to talk about in just a moment. But the first thing I think we have to realize is that we are not dealing with rational 
political, like this choice or that choice, that this has moved well beyond just logic, that this is in the spiritual realm. And Ephesians 6 does say that we don't battle against flesh and blood, right? But that it is against the powers of darkness and the principalities and the spiritual forces of our day. And so I want to implore you that the first thing we should do is pray. That we cannot move forward, like we cannot have a burden for this without praying to the Lord, right? That that has to be first and foremost. Our response is praying. We must pray that God ends the injustice of abortion. We must pray for forgiveness for for our role, whether we've had an abortion or been indifferent toward the issue. We must pray that, that those in power would be convicted to change things. We must pray. But beyond that, what do we do? Is that all that we can do? Do we simply pray and and wait on the government to change the laws? Do we we make post-cast votes that are pro-life? And I would say yes to all of that. Like, listen, we we should actually, we should absolutely, God's people should be championing the cause uh, for pro-life. And in any way that we can do that and move that forward, God's people should absolutely be the ones that are that are championing that and and involved in that. So, so I don't want to minimize the the value of marches and protests and, and writing your, your legislators. Like, we should be doing that. We shouldn't just wait for the next election or hope that the next candidate pushes our, like, we, we, we don't just sit idly by. Like, we should be actively letting our lawmakers know our stance, our heart, what we believe God has called the issues of life to be. But I believe that beyond that, again, I think we're probably all there. And I want to press you and encourage you to, to not give up on that and continue in that. But I think beyond that, Michael looks at his people, looks at God's people and says, yeah, but beyond that, I think there's, there's something to how we actually live our life. And here's, here's why I say that matters for us today. I was watching uh, a, a video that, that came across uh, my Twitter feed the other day. And um, it was from a channel called Hi-Ho Kids. Um, and it's this lighthearted channel for four kids. Um, and there's this uh, series of videos called um, Kids Meet, fill in the blank. So there's this process of kids meet. Um, I don't know, they got like kids meet a ventriloquist, right? Uh, weird things like kids meet a bank robber. Kids meet a, uh, I don't know who's picking these things. Kids meet uh, stuff like transgender uh, people. Uh, there's, there's all these processes, but one of them is kids meet someone who's had an abortion. I click on this video and there's this happy kid-like music playing. And there's kids in chairs, and there's this woman talking about her abortion. And, and the, the lightheartedness, the, the casualness with which it is being presented is, is, is like sickening to me. Like it's, it's just really, really, really hard to watch. And again, there's music, it's just happy chipper, and they're just talking about this process. And one of the kids asks about, well, I don't really know what happens. And she, and she says, well, you know, you just go in and you're in a chair, and they insert this tube, and, and they, you know, suck out the pregnancy. It's just kind of like a bad dentist appointment or whatever. And that's just how they present that whole process. They're not talking about the, the child who was dismembered. They're not talking about, the, the brains and, and the, the body, like, they're not talking about that. It's just this happy music, and it just goes forward and goes on. And, and, and all of these things, and they, they talk about really bizarre, like, I, I can't, I want to pick apart the whole thing. I wanted to show part of it. It just, it just doesn't work in our time. But the thing that got me, the thing that, that wrecked me, and she's not the first one to say this, but the thing that wrecked me is one of the girls, one of the kids asked, well, have you ever been attacked by pro-life people online? And listen, this whole video was very much propaganda by the approachers movement. Like most of the questions that were asked were, were leaning that way. And again, just making it an okay thing. It's promoted by the Shout Your Abortion campaign. And so very much angled that way, very much propaganda that direction. But one of the kids asked, well, have you ever been attacked by 
pro-life people online. And she says this. She says, yeah, I have, but I don't call them pro-life. She says, I call them, them anti-choice because those people aren't really pro-life. Because most of those people that insist that these babies be born aren't doing anything about the babies that they insist to be born. They're not doing anything to care for the babies that are born into poverty. The babies that are being abandoned by the current families that did have their children. Said most of the people in that movement aren't actually pro-life. And listen, again, it's a horrifying video. She has a horrifying position. I think there's a lot of self-justification going on in what she's saying, but I don't think we can argue a whole lot with what she just said. And it's, it's not just that I don't think it anymore. It's that over the last year and a half, two years, God has forced me, like just, just wrecked me for this issue and has, has forced me to like deal with it face-to-face with it, ask him what should we do as a church, what should we do as a family, and I've begun to see it face-to-face that, that again, the pro-life movement, the people that are saying that, championing that, they, they are not, by and large, doing anything about those that they insist to be born. And she asked the question, what, do we want just all these millions of babies to be born? What, what will happen to them then? And I need you to ask that question of yourself this morning. What happens if Roe v. Wade gets overturned? What happens? What happens with these children? the current state of things with the abortion laws, with the 3,000 a day being aborted, the current state of things is that there are over 140 million children worldwide, ranging from infants to teenagers who have lost one or both of their parents. Something like 13 million of them still uh, without homes and in orphanages. In the United States, there's almost 400,000 children living without permanent families in the foster care system. More than 100,000 of these children in foster care are eligible for adoption, but nearly a third of them will wait over three years before being adopted. Roughly 55% of the children in foster care have had three or more placements before their adoption is complete, potentially changing schools four or five times. Make it a little closer to home. Every year in Illinois, there are over 240,000 incidents of suspected child abuse and neglect. Over 4,800 kids will enter foster care as a result of that. That's 13 children into Illinois' foster care every single day. And listen, it's one thing to hear the stats. Like the video said, death of one is a tragedy, but stats just become numbers, right? And listen, I heard that there weren't enough homes. It was stories like, the one Vicki Oakley told me about sitting in an agency with, with five kids who had just been pulled out of their home and watching the caseworker call home after home after home, asking if they could take these children just for the night. It was stories like that when, when, the, when the agency worker looked at her and said, is there not anybody in your church that can take these kids? It was, it was stories like that that compelled me to say, well, like, we can't. We can't go on. Like, that, that can't be the reality of our area right under our nose here in Williamson County. 
and we go on with our lives as usual, like we have to, to do something about that. And so for, that's what led us as a church to help launch the Restore Network. That's what led me and my family to open up our home and begin fostering. And, and listen, as I said, it's one thing to hear the stats. It's one thing to hear that they're not enough homes, but it's a whole other thing to answer my phone on average twice a week and to hear a caseworker say, we're looking for a home for this kid. Can you take him? And my home's full. My van is full. And my heart breaks because I have to say no. Twice a week. Right here. Reality. My phone rings twice a week. And that's, and that's only from one agency. And our, our license is only for ages two and under. We're talking about a small percentage. The ones that everybody's supposed to want, right? The, the babies, the easy ones. So when I hear that woman in that video say what she said, I, I must say I had to agree with her. I'm seeing the reality of there, there are not enough homes. And listen, if you just take the amount of churches, I'm not even talking about people in the church. You just take the amount of churches Compare that to the amount of kids that need to be adopted in our state or really throughout the country. If, if every church would adopt a kid, that problem would be solved. And we're, we're sitting here with a room full of, I don't know, 150, 160 people. I don't believe that, that we get pass on this, when the Lord looks at the injustice of the land, when he looks at the numbers of the children that are vulnerable and in need, and he looks at his people, I don't, I don't think we get a pass here. What makes me think that we don't get a pass is haunting passages like Jesus says in Matthew 25, when Jesus says to people on judgment day, listen, I never knew you. Because when I was sick, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't care for me. When I was in jail, you didn't come visit me. When I was hungry, you didn't give me any food or a drink of water. And the people said, Jesus, when did we see you sick or in jail or thirsty? And we didn't know that. And Jesus says, listen, whenever, whenever you saw the least of these suffering, you, you, when you ignored them, you ignored me. He looks at those who would actually serve those people and he says, hey, well done. Because when I was sick, you cared for me. Whenever I needed clothes, you gave them to me. When I needed a drink, you were there with one. And they said, we don't remember doing that, Jesus. They said, whenever you served the least of these, you were serving me. Listen, I can't help but think that there are people, there, there are kiddos. Old enough, I know there was an 11-year-old girl who sat in a hospital this weekend waiting for some home to just say yes for a couple days. I can't shake the reality that one day Jesus is going to ask, where were you, church? Where were you, church? Those, that was my kiddo. That was my little daughter. It didn't do anything wrong. Was it her fault that she had been pulled out of her home? Was it her fault that her parents did whatever they did? Like, where were you, church? Like, what, what were you doing that you didn't 
Say yes, that you didn't care for the vulnerable right under your nose. This is not just a problem in China. This is not just a problem in third world countries. This is right under our nose in America. And I'm telling you, this is with abortion happening at the rate that it is. I need you to think about what happens if it gets overturned. What happens to these kids, church? What do we do? What does the Lord require of us? And here's what he says. i got to move quickly, but he says this. He's, he says in Micah 6, 8, he says, he they ask, what, what do you want from us, Lord? Do you want us to go to church more? Do you want us to do more stuff? He says this. He has told you, man, oh man, oh people of God, what is good, what he requires of you. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice? To do justice. That, that's an active, like doing it, not just believing in, not just claiming, saying, yes, I'll do. Like, no, doing justice, living justice. Justice is an image of God issue, right? And, and the clearest assault on the image of God and, and God's image bearers is the mass murder of the unborn. Like, God requires his people to do justice, to be there, to be a father to the fatherless, to set them in homes, to be the ones that say yes. And as they said, as Pastor Leon Crump said in that video, like, that the first century church was known for taking the babies off of trash heaps, right? That as the people just put them out to be discarded, the church came along and said, no, we'll take them. And then more than that, right, to, to actually care for the mothers and those that have got themselves in trouble. So to do justice is what God requires us to do. And then, and then secondly, to love kindness. Now, this is a little bit harder to translate and, and to know what's going on there. Other translations will say mercy. And really the big idea there. The, the better translation for that Hebrew word is a loyal love that contains mercy. Here's the big idea. Here's what it's really saying. Is that you notice, care about, and engage with the people around you who are suffering. To love your neighbor as yourself, right? Do justice. Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, in the midst of a jacked up world in Micah's day. God knows there's child sacrifice happening in neighboring countries. God knows there's all kinds of horrific things going on. He looks at his people and says, this is what I require of you. You do justice and you live out loving kindness. You care about your neighbor. You see when they're suffering and you see what you can do about it. You engage with them. That means that we, like, we have to engage above and beyond just a stance or even, or even a vote, right? That we have to be living this out. I need you, church. I need you to feel the weight of of God's command there and what he calls us to in light of this uh, horrific and gross injustice that is going on right before our eyes. And I need you to wrestle with this calling. I need you to feel the weight of that, that there are not enough homes for those that are being born, let alone the ones that are being aborted. I need you to feel the weight of that. And listen, I get it, and I agree that not everyone is called to foster and adopt. But don't give yourself a pass too quickly, because I believe everybody is called to lay themselves before the Lord and ask that hard question. Because it's not just a problem that they have. It's not just a problem overseas. Like, it's right here under our nose. So you need to wrestle with that. We need more homes. Listen, our church has responded incredibly to Restore Network, and, and, and we are serving foster homes, and we, we are, the agencies and, and the foster parents are eating. Like, they, they've longed for this kind of support, and, 
And, and the beauty of that network and that organization is that it provides ways for the rest of us to come alongside and serve those who are fostering and adopting. But you need to first consider, is that you? And there are other ways that you can serve in this. Like, you can, if you're not on a support team for Restore, you should, you should do that. You should, you should consider serving in ways of bringing meals, um, just loving on kiddos and their families and the foster ones that they've called to um, foster and adopt and be there for a season. You should consider doing that. You need to get over some of the myths about foster care, Right? You need to get over, like, yes, it's hard. I, that is not a myth. That is a truth. But we've done this as a church to come alongside, and it makes a big difference whenever you have that new placement. And, and there, there's, you know, you, you haven't got sleep in a couple days, and somebody else shows up and says, you go lay down. I got your kiddo, right? That we do this together, that you don't have to cook. Here's a meal, right? And the next day, you don't have to cook. Here's a meal. And you guys go out with your bio kids, and we'll hang out with the foster kiddo. Like, when we start to do things like that, when we start to provide training for one another and support for one another, because it doesn't make sense. When a kid comes into foster care, they've been through trauma. A kid doesn't get pulled out of their home without having trauma. You understand that, right? Like, they don't just take them out because the government feels like it. There's been some sort of trauma, and trauma affects a child. So you get a child like that in your home, and it's hard. It's hard. Some of you have experienced that. You can't explain the behaviors like you could with our kid. It's not just pure rebellion. There's something more going on, and that's hard, but we've entered this together. We have training. We have resources. We have one another to walk with, and so you need to think about that. Is God calling you to open up your home to foster or to adopt? If so, we've got a workshop coming up in just a couple weeks. Uh, the Restore Network has a table set up outside. My wife will be out there later. Like, we'll be glad to answer your questions just to look at what does it look like. Listen, you need to get over some of the, the issues of, of, you know, I don't want to give the I don't think I could give the kid back. Like, there's so many reasons not to foster. And listen, I've been there. It's not like I always, like, God just brought this upon me. But you need to understand that, like, it's, it's well beyond. It's, it's not just about us, right? Like, it's not, like, we need to not think about what is it going to cost us. And I couldn't never give the kid back. We need to think about what happens to the kids when we don't. Right? And we need to understand that, that we, have an, like we have a calling from our Lord to be the ones that say yes to this. And, and we don't just to have, get to have a pass and assume that somebody else is going to do it. Because I'm here to tell you, they're not. They're not. Some of you have written that off because you don't think you could afford it. And listen, here's another thing that defies logic. The average... Adoption costs about $40,000 a year, or not a year, it costs about $40,000 to complete the average abortion, about 450 bucks. What role are you playing in that? I don't know why that system's so broken. I hope God calls some of you to go fix a system like that, right? Praise God, I hope he does. But in the meantime, we need to be the ones that bear that burden, Right? Have you checked in on the naps since they adopted their kiddo? Are you walking with the Walters as they move to adopt their kiddo from China? Are you helping them bear that burden? Have you checked? Do you listen to them? Do you, do you ask them how it's going? Do you just sit with them, take them for dinner? Are you giving them your money? Are you, are you walking with those people in that? Like, are you signing up, asking questions? Are you laying your own life before the Lord? You need to be asking these questions of yourself because we don't get a pass here. The Lord says, what does it require of you? Do justice. Love kindness, right? Care about your neighbor. Do something about it whenever they're suffering. That's what he's asking us to do. But here's the deal. This is not just a social justice issue. This is a gospel issue. And none of us are empowered or equipped to do anything about this except the Lord Jesus does something in our own hearts, right? And that's what the last passage here in, in Micah says. Not only are we to 
do justice, love kindness, but to walk humbly with your God. There's the key there. There's the issue. Those of, those of us that have, you know, chose not to enter into this world, most of it has to do with our own agenda, right? We don't see how it fits into what our life has going on, right? We don't think we have time or space or, or money or whatever it may be. But listen, one quick myth, it actually doesn't cost you anything to foster. In fact, the state will pay you. So, uh, some people just actually don't know that, that, that there's, that, and that they are desperate for homes. But, but you need to understand that w- what he's calling us to is a gospel issue. That the reason he calls us to live out justice and just live out loving kindness is because we have been shown God's justice in Jesus Christ. That we were sinners. We did not deserve God's love, and yet he set it upon us. That he so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? The son not come to condemn the world, but to bring salvation. And he did that through pouring out his justice, his wrath upon Jesus on the cross so that we could be given forgiveness, that we could be given his grace. So we have been shown God's justice and he calls us to go and live forth. We have been shown God's loving kindness and mercy over and over again when we've walked away, when we've not been lovely, when we've been a burden, when we've been uh, walking away from the Lord, not giving him a second thought that, He's been there. He's pursuing us. He's loving us. He didn't, the Bible says, while we were still sinners, he died for us. We didn't earn it, right? But that's the gospel, and that's what compels us into this. And when we see that, when we see ourselves in light of that, and we walk with God, we see God for who he is, and we see ourselves for who we are, that's going to bring humility. Right? And it's the gospel. It's seeing God for who he is, seeing ourselves for who we are, and that we don't deserve this. That brings humility. And no longer are we thinking about my life and whether God's call fits into my agenda and what I'm ready to do. We, we have humility, and we lay our life down. We open up our hands, and we say, Lord, what would you have me do? That's what, it, that, that's what humbly means, lowly, right? not prideful. We're not worried about whether it fits into our agenda. We're just laying, like. We need to hear these stats. We need to hear these issues and let them drive us to our knees and say, Lord, what would you have me do? There are not enough homes. There are not enough supports for those that have opened their homes. And there's more than just that way to serve and to engage in here. On your way out, you're gonna receive a little a little uh, sheet like this that says, Ways to be pro-life. And I want you to consider this. What is God calling you to do in this? That I think if we're actually going to be pro-life and insist these babies be born, that we actually have to be the church and step in and say, We got them. We got them. We got them and we got you. You come. We'll love on you. We'll walk with you. We got them. And so there's other ways to do it. The, the foster system is in desperate need for respite care. That's people who will get licensed and say, I can't commit to a long-term deal, but if somebody needs to go on vacation, somebody needs to go out of town, somebody needs a break for a weekend, I'll do that. Some of the fam- like we have three foster families in our church right now, like they, they could use that from, from us. Like we have other families in the area that are saying, yeah, I would love that. Like we need to, so there's respite care, there's just, babys- just good old-fashioned babysitting. Like I'm blessed to have my mom and stepdad who will take our kids anytime, foster kid included but not everybody is, right? We need to be there and say, I, I got you. You don't have to be licensed for that, right? But you can say, I'll babysit. You give me your kids for the night. You give me your kids for the week, like for the weekend. And I, I, you go and, and or give me your foster kid. I'll go hang out with your bio kids. Like have a fun, like whatever. We could serve in those ways. Listen, the crisis pregnancy center, that's a real thing that happens right here in Southern Illinois. Like you could serve in that 
I don't care what you do, but do something. Do something. Do justice, love kindness, get involved. You don't know where to start, we'll be glad to help you. Right out there, that table is a good place to start today. Listen, I want you to dream with me for just a minute as we finish. What would it look like, church? What if we were the people of God that answered his call? What if we're the people of God that says, okay, Lord, my life is yours. I, I will give it up. I lay down my pride. I lay down my agenda, my hopes, my dreams. Lord, it is all about you. I want to make much of you. And Lord, your people, your kids are suffering right in our midst. And I don't know what you want me to do about the abortion right now, but I know what I can do right in front of me, Lord. And so what would you have? Have me? What part would you have me play in fostering and adopting and loving on those that do? Listen, what if we were the church? That what, what if we began? Listen, I understand. It's actually not that hard. You roll it up. One church, you know, each church takes one kid in Illinois, and the, the, the adoption issues is solved, right? Like, and you roll that out nationally, worldwide. Like, the church answers this call, and our world looks vastly different. So, yes, it's an overwhelming issue, but when you just boil it down and go, okay, but what can we do? We start to see how very quickly. We can make a big difference. We can't worry about the other churches. We can't worry about the other people. What we can do is worry about us. And what if, what if we respond with yes, Lord? What if we respond with whatever you would have me do, Lord? What kind of difference does that make in the landscape? What kind of difference is that? What kind of weight does that give our pro-life argument? When we say, yeah, I think every baby should be born. And I got, I got two of them in my house. Or I babysit every weekend for somebody who's caring for some of them, or I serve at the crisis pregnancy center. I'm walking with parents who, are, who said yes to having their kid and now are struggling through life. Like, I'm pro-life holistically, right? Working with disabled kids. Like, we're not even mentoring for kids. Like, we're not even scratching the surface of possibilities, but we can do something, right? What if we did that? What if we became those people? What does that look like for us to be the salt and light of this earth, a city set on a hill, a, a, a place of hope for our community and for our world? What does that look like? What, what if, church? What does the Lord have? What, what is he calling you to today? What role is he asking you to play? This is a gospel issue. At the very heart of the gospel, we were lost, hopeless, sinful children of God, and he came and found us and made a way. He calls us to live likewise. Let's pray. Jesus, this is overwhelming. This is terrifying. This is hard. And yet, it is your truth. So we look to you as you do your work in the midst of these people this morning. Father, would you not lead us into condemnation and, and guilt? But Lord, would you lead us into a burden for your children, your vulnerable children, the parents that have had them or had an abortion? Would you, would you burden us, Lord, for our neighbor? Would you help us to get over our fears and to respond in faith and to let you empower us to make a difference? Lord, for whatever may be going on in our hearts and across this room, I pray that grace would be the loudest thing that is heard and that this altar would be open, Lord, that these people would know that your altar is open, that they can come and receive grace upon top of grace, that they can come and receive Jesus and all that you offer. Would you do that kind of work, Spirit? Would you remove any kind of unnecessary guilt and just bring in full-on burden from you, and life-empowering action. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.